0: Hey everybody, welcome to Literary Disco and Lit Hub Radio, episode 202, Fantasy. Today, we launch a new format of the disco as we begin our genre season. Each episode of this season, we're going to dive deep into a particular literary genre, exploring what defines it, what makes it work or not work, interviewing authors, talking to fans, scholars, whoever can help us unlock what it is that makes a genre a genre. With our inaugural episode, we discover our long-lost lineage, hop on a Pegasus, and fly into the far reaches of fantasy. This is Literary Disco, the last book club you'll ever need. We are Todd, Julia, and Ryder, three old friends who love to read, debate. And sometimes even agree i am actor and filmmaker Ryder strong joining me as always our novelist and critic todd goldberg and essayist and radio personality julia Pistel. okay oh. i already
1: have to in, uh, issue a correction Stop on a pegasus there's no a pegasus pegasus oh. is the name this is a great fun fact to start oh, with. i love pegasus this. is the proper name of um the flying horse from greek mythology Which is amazing. There's no
0: word for flying horse?
2: Yeah, what's the word for flying horse?
1: Flying fucking horse. I have, you know, I'm going to bring on our special
0: guest because (laughs) I think he might have uh, some thoughts on this. Uh, it wouldn't be a fantasy episode of Literary Disco unless we brought on the man who has had us read way too long fantasy books in the past and uh, rapey fantasy books. Uh, y- you may know him from his days on Boy Meets World with me, but he is also one of the most prolific voiceover actors in the world and a bona fide fantasy aficionado, self-proclaimed champion of all things nerdy. Please welcome the official Literary Disco Fantasy Correspondent, Wilfredo.
3: Hi, I'm happy to be here, Ryder. Thank you for you. having me. Do you uh,
0: have Do you have a, an opinion on this Pegasus unicorn debate?
3: Well, it's not an opinion. Pegasus was was uh, Perseus's horse.
1: Thank okay. you, thank you, Will. Uh, so Pegasus.
3: So, so Pegasus was gifted to Perseus so that Perseus could uh, defeat the Kraken when he had Medusa's head. So uh, there is uh, there are a line of Pegasuses. So for Pegasus, Pegasus. <laughs> Actually, it would not be pegasi because if it's apparent and you, you guys are, are, are more learned in this, uh, but it's the octopuses octopi debate, <laughs> where if it is of Latin origin, oh God. Uh, if a word is of Latin origin, then it is 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 um, pluralized with an I, but if right. it is of Greek origin, it is the standard s's. So it is actually octopuses, not octopi, because it is a Greek Pegasus word. This is Greek too.
1: Finally, so, yeah. I have an ally. This is My incredible. God. What a day for me! Wow.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, because for instance, to keep it nerdy, um, there is a uh, a DC character called Shining Knight. That is a knight that actually was bestowed eternal life by Merlin. And he also has a flying horse, but his name is Winged Victory. So there are, all, are multiple horses that have that, that are flying horses, but they are actually not. I mean, Pegasus is like saying, it would be like saying every every man I meet is Todd. Right. Um, exactly. So, <laughs> Todd eye. Yeah. Or eyes, Or Todas's, if he is not a Greek origin. <laughs>
0: Our goal today (laughs) is to try and get at what it is that defines the genre of fantasy. And I I thought maybe, you know, because there's a lot of theories and ideas, um, but primarily, I guess, the the, the biggest question that I have about fantasy, because everything is make-believe, right? If you're writing a novel, uh, and it's Anna Karenina, it's still a make, it's a made up story. It's a fantasy in the sense that it's made up characters and, a you know, in a world that probably resembles ours, but it is also has made up places or, uh, so why do we, why do we say that there is a particular genre of fantasy? Mm. And the, to get at this question, I thought maybe I would throw out some books and you guys tell me why they are or are not fantasy. All okay. right. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. Sounds good. Moby Dick by Herman Melville not mm. fantasy not fantasy
2: why fantasy not? fantasy
0: Ooh.
3: already uh, some debate why not fantasy well, well there's i would i would argue that almost any genre no matter what genre you have has some level of world building which is right. what fantasy is really known for is the intricacy of the world building so you could argue that any novel has that sure. uh, uh, type of world building that being said um moby dick is based entirely on our world, there is no magical elements whatsoever. Mm-mm. There are no mythical creatures whatsoever because Moby Dick was actually based on a true story. So there were whales that were attacking boats. Right. Um, so that takes it out of the fantasy genre in that again, yes, there is some world building, but it is not any sort of magical system. That would be the first thing I would say is some sort of a magical system. Is some what sort makes of it magical
0: man. system.
2: All right. Yeah. Uh, the anthropomorphizing of the whale, giving it actual agency, Mm, doesn't no, that? No,
0: cre-
2: no. Doesn't no. That create? It's not like
0: Jaws. It doesn't. The book doesn't go into the whale's point of view with an inner but dialogue. But the
2: whale. But the whale has agency. The whale's doing shit. Okay. Like, as, as an animal.
1: Animal. Okay. All right. I love Moby Dick. <laughs> The whale, we don't go into the whale's mind, and the whale yes. isn't making choices. It's mm. The book is about Ahab and the sailors interpreting normal whale behavior, and their anthropomorphization of the whale is part of the novel.
3: Mm. Just anthropomorphizing an animal does not a fantasy make. Put that right. on a shirt.
0: Next one. Well, this is not necessarily, this isn't a book, but I thought this was a good one to throw out there, Star
3: Wars. Yes and no. It's sci-fi fantasy.
0: Ooh. We're getting complicated. See,
1: I would say yes fantasy.
3: Yeah. Todd,
0: yeah. you would say yes fantasy. Yeah, there's, there's a wall,
3: there's a guy with a walrus
0: face.
1: I do not yes. think Star Wars is fantasy. Okay. I think it is. I think it's in a fantasy setting. I reveal I don't care for Star Wars. Um. Oh. So oh
3: sci-fi fantasy is is a, a genre unto itself in a way because what it does is it will combine the magical system of the force right. with the technological system, right. but with yes. the technological system so mm-hmm. that's why it is sci-fi fantasy right
0: and it's there's destiny there's a prince or, or you know there's the long lost co- child who finds out he's the son of the, the evil lord a i mean typical it's typical fantasy yeah okay here's another one 100 <laughs> years of solitude by marquez that's magical
1: realism. That's magical realism. Real, what's
0: that, why not fantasy? Because it's still our own world.
2: It's just In magical our old things world. Happen. People
1: float off into the sky, and this is not a strong argument. But bringing another element into the discussion, as far as I remember it, a uh, hundred years of solitude stays pretty localized, right? Like there's not a lot of exploration, adventure. It's a normal family story, but with these additional elements and introduced.
0: Correct. But those Correct. additional elements are magical. There is magic in the book. They are. All right. right. How about Kindred by Octavia Butler? Fantasy. Time yes. travel story. Yes. Fantasy.
3: Yeah. Never read it. Yeah.
0: Not sci-fi because-
1: It's a great book. Well, you got to read time it. Time
2: travel. Okay. Which great book and also into... great graphic novel.
0: All right. Novel. Here's another one. Final, final one. Life of Pi.
2: No. Book? No. It's someone losing their mind.
0: All right, so to get at this question better than any of us, we thought we'd find an expert. Uh, Brandon Sanderson is the most successful living fantasy writer. So he, he probably doesn't really need an introduction. Uh, with novels like Mistborn, which we covered in episode 47 of this show, uh, The Way of Kings, Oathbringer, uh, Sanderson has oh. created whole interconnected universes of epic proportions. Um, And beyond his original fantasies, he also took over the Wheel of Time series after the original author Robert Jordan passed away. He also is the, what the largest Kickstarter campaign in history as of this moment, having raised $41 million to uh, publish, uh, I think three books. Uh, And he's also a professor. He teaches writing, specifically fantasy and sci-fi writing at Brigham Young University. So we thought he would be the perfect person to ask, what is fantasy?
5: The really great fancy novels mix in these real human stories, these mm-hmm. stories about people. Uh, but they would do it in this fantastical uh, environment where I got adventure and wonder with my human stories. like mm-hmm. Dragon's made mm-hmm. is the book that, that got me, I often say. that's the, that's the novel that the, my teacher gave me. Uh, it's a lesser-known book by Barbara Hamley. And it's really about a woman having a midlife crisis. Well,
0: I mean, it's so interesting um, because what I what I feel like you're saying, you know, is that that you actually connected it, fantasy actually allowed you to find more humanity than mm. Old Yeller, yeah. Or, right. You know, the, the so-called more realistic books were actually less relatable to you. Well, here's the thing: my mom uh, graduated
5: first in her class in accounting in a year where she was the only woman in most of her accounting classes, right? Uh, right. She 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 was valedictorian. She got offered a bunch of scholarships, and she actually delayed her career um, because she was pregnant with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, she eventually went on and became the accountant, uh, city accountant, and all of these things. But when I was young, she stayed home with me, um, and then my brother. Which uh, as a young teen, you're like, well, of course she did. Look at <laughs> me, I'm awesome. I deserve all this. Right. I right. deserve that. <laughs> and yet I'm reading this book, and I'm like. You could be a wizard woman. Leave the kids. The kids <laughs> yeah. will figure it out. Um, they can. They they. they, they they'll eat. That the kids figure out how to eat. Go off and be a wizard. And I get done <laughs> with this book, and I'm like, this book is about my mom. Mm. Yeah. Um, kind of right. And I understand. I, I read a story about slaying a dragon. Um, and with all sorts of cool fantasy elements. And at the end, I understand my mother better. And that's fantasy. Wow. Yeah. That's what makes yeah. fantasy click. You really don't fun. want to downplay the value of um, seeing yourself in the fiction you're reading, right? Mm-hmm. there, I mean, there are lots of reasons why having young people or uh, people of various backgrounds and uh, life experiences being in stories. I don't right. read stories, you know, it, it is important. I did pick up Sword of Shannara that summer and loved mm. Sword of Shannara. And it basically has a young teenage boy as protagonist. And I loved it, right? Same right. with, you know, uh, the old Eddings books and things like that. Right, um, right, yes. But at the same time, one of the reasons I read um, is to see through the eyes of someone different from myself and experience the world, a different version of the world. Um, and I always, I always say fantasy, fantasy is the most aspirational genre.
4: Mm. Um,
5: this is because we can, in fantasy, there, there are no limits. You can show anything. Um, and I always joke that it's called, it's, it's crunches for your imagination. It's ways to help you imagine (laughs) a different, um, and hopefully better world worse sometimes, because when you imagine something worse, it's a, it's a cautionary tale, Mm -hmm. um, uh, but fantasy uh, Terry Pratchett to not to, to try to not mess up uh, a Terry Pratchett quote, which I will inevitably do, but it said something along the lines of, uh, fantasy is like riding a bicycle um, or riding a, an exercise bike, right? Um, it's not actually going to take you anywhere, but it's going to get you to where you can go to new places. Right, mm. it's gonna it's gonna build up those muscles. And I'm sorry, uh, Serp Terry was always so pithy, and I'm I'm butchering the quote. But <laughs> it's this concept, right? That what fantasy is there to do is to help you imagine a different world. And our world gets better because people imagine a different world, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, before people yeah. flew, people were imagining uh, that we right. could fly. Right. Uh, it, you, you need to
0: imagine things before the world can change. Well, so I'm curious about what you're saying, Brandon, because you know, a lot of a lot of what you're you're, you're it makes so much sense to me. Um but it also has a lot to do with the, the world building aspect of mm-hmm. fantasy. And I'm curious about the um the sort of plot. Uh, like requirements of a fan, are there plot requirements to the fantasy genre, or is it like you said, you know, it sort of could become a midlife crisis story set in the fantasy world? How how do you approach it? Do you think of fantasy as a as a genre of pl- like a with a plot built in or a certain set of plots built in, or do you think of it as more like a sandbox that you play in? That's an excellent question. So I think more like the second,
5: uh, mm-hmm. but. Um, we have this, the word genres actually kind of a terrible word for describing things because we ascribe like three different things to the word genre. Uh, when I took my genre class in college, the genres were play, prose, and creative nonfiction. Mm. Right? <laughs> Those were the three genres that right. they were discussing on an academic level. Uh, we don't even talk of it that way. We say fantasy, science fiction, which are also genres. But the thing about it is fantasy you can use okay. What is a fantasy? You can do the plot structure style of fantasy and say, all right. Fantasy is often either one of three things: it's a portal fantasy, it's a um, an epic fantasy, or it's a um, it's a, a low fantasy, right? Um, and those are your three basic archetypes. Um, of fantasies. Harry Potter, portal fantasy, kid uh, or adult falls through a portal. Epic fantasy, state of the world, lots of characters, often with a quest narrative, but not always. And then low fantasy, I, I'm a big strong dude and I'm gonna go kill this wizard. Um, which eventually morphed <laughs> into the Michael Moorcock Elric, um, and even kind of the um uh, split off a little bit into urban fantasy. the urban fantasy was mostly horror with dib dabbling. You can go into all these sorts uh, of things right. um but right right fantasy is also just the genre where um the impossible, is treated as possible. Where mm-hmm. science fiction is the implausible is made. You know, we, we take what we think might be able to happen and bring it forward. Fantasy is, no, this is impossible. I understand it's impossible. We're all gonna pretend for a while that it's uh, possible and we're gonna tell a story. Um, and that's how I view fantasy. Um, mm. Under that, as long as you think you're telling fiction, if you'd put something impossible in, you, you're you under our umbrella. Uh, so that means, you know, Hamlet is fantasy, right? right,
0: um, right whether
5: right. Beowulf is fantasy or not is up for a debate, right? But the Odyssey is probably fantasy. Yeah. The People Tempest probably for sure that, is fantasy. The Tempest um, is as fantasy, right. As mm-hmm. being fiction, right? Um, and And so it's like, what is fantasy? Is it the set of genre tropes? Um, is it the the uh, storytelling genre of the imagination where anything can happen? Um, is it, you know, something else? And that's that's why genre as a, as a word is hard to define. Um, I don't look at fantasy bringing any specific plots. Mm. I think, I often say this, I have to say, why wouldn't you write fantasy? We can do anything you can do in any other genre. Right, we we have literary fiction um, as as powerful as the as any literary piece. Right, we've got mm-hmm. Hamlet, greatest work in the English language. Right, mm-hmm. um, we've got all kinds of uh, imaginative, powerful Ursula Le Guin and all of these people um, who who have a great literary tradition. Or you can do romance. As uh, as powerful mm-hmm. as any uh, romance story, you can do a mystery, you can do a detective story. This is what Harry Dresden is. Mm-hmm. Plus, you can have dragons. So why
4: wouldn't you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why
5: would you write anything else?
1: I love this. I think I can see writers like grinning because you're answering all of his questions about fantasy <laughs> so expertly. Um, yeah. But I think for me, when I think about fantasy as sort or from a layperson's point of view, it, let's talk about character tropes, you know, like the characters drive, not only the character arcs, but the types of characters that we return to again and again. Um, so yeah, tell us why, why dragons, why elves, why wizards, you know, what's so magical. And I mean that in a more human way, not in a literal magical way. What's so <laughs> magical about these, that we are coming back to them as, as such strong archetypes? Yeah.
5: So um, I would make the argument that that is definitely part of fantasy. Um, but mm-hmm. let, let, me, let me step you through it. Um, I feel one of the driving features of fantasy is a sense of wonder. Um, mm-hmm. and every genre mm-hmm. is seeking to create an emotional response in the reader, particularly fiction. Uh, fiction genres um, and different emotional responses. A good book is going to have a wide variety of them, right? You're going to be doing all sorts of things. But fantasy's like key component, is this sense of wonder. It's a sense of exploration. It's a sense sense of going somewhere new, um, and that creates an interesting sort of tension in fantasy. In that, if you do the same thing too many times, the readership um, actually kind of stops feeling that sense of wonder Um, stale
0: wonder yeah yeah stale wonder bread
5: you see this um this is me kind of i'm sharing it but the late 90s got hit with this um so what happened this is my armchair history of fantasy um, fantasy was really the two genre, the two types of fantasy, portal fantasy and, uh, and low fantasy, as we now call it, until Tolkien came along and really added a third genre or third subgenre to fantasy with epic fantasy, and then he went and died on us after only <laughs> releasing a couple of books, and the entire publishing industry changed to be we like, what is this? You want to know where uh, sort of Shannara came from. It's basically Lester Del Rey being like, we need more of this. Who can write this? Uh, mm-hmm. With David oh. Eddings, they literally yeah. went to him and said, stop writing thrillers, take this Tolkien book, write something like this. Right. Um, Interesting. Right. And the late 70s saw Star Wars come, which is a science fantasy and a sudden boom of we need to do this. And the 80s and early 90s was spent very much in Tolkien shadow just basically Mm -hmm. replicating what Tolkien did. Um, And because of that, you end up with the late 90s, there was a big exodus from epic fantasy. People were getting bored of it. Uh, They were still reading the authors that they were enjoying, but they were either... Um, reading George R. R. Martin, who was like, mm-hmm. "Okay, we're done with you know, we're gonna kill the epic fantasy tropes one at a time on right. purpose. <laughs> <and> <laughs> right. epigen- we're gonna chop right. their heads off." <laughs> yeah. uh, right. It's an epic fantasy setting with a low fantasy uh, sort of mindset, uh, mm-hmm. which really right, brilliantly right. mixes the two subgenres. Um, And then Harry Potter came along and was just the sense of wonder and whimsy and just sucked all the air out of the room and you'll find a number of high profile epic fantasy launches in the late 90s just just flopped and everyone is flocking to where the sense of wonder was more um, uh, more distinctive more more fresh. Um, And I think this was teaching us fantasy isn't about elves and orcs though there are Mm -hmm. great stories even being written today about elves and orcs and some people that's what they're looking for and that's totally fine I'm not saying there's no moral judgment there, but the 2000s the last 20 years have taught us that fantasy is not about those, uh, those tropes, it is about solid interesting characters, and worlds with a lot of imagination Mm. and if you don't shake that up and keep presenting new styles of storytelling then this genre is going to get stale and it will die real fast all the best fantasy is pulling from all different genres Mm. um like if you pick up an epic fantasy that i write i am deliberately saying all right here's what i'm learning from the romance genre and using here's what i'm learning from the detective uh genre and using uh, here's what I'm learning from literary fiction and using. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm trying to pull all of that together to make a 4,000-word epic that is basically a bunch of smaller novels stapled together mm-hmm. uh, and, and interwoven. Mm, that's so interesting. So in
0: in, the, in that instance, do you find the genre uh, helpful as a sort of set of, of things to work with or even against?
5: Yes, absolutely. Like yeah. my, my first book, not my first novel, but my breakout was Mistborn. And Mistborn's premise is, what if the Dark Lord won? What if mm-hmm. Frodo got to the end of Lord of the Rings and Sauron said, hey, uh, thanks for bringing my ring back. <laughs> I've right. um, been looking for that. Right. Uh, now I can take over the world, right? right? Like That's the premise. What if the Dark Lord won and a gang of thieves were
0: going to rob him? So it's uh, a conscious so, reaction to yeah. an existing. Yeah. Right. 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 Mm-hmm. It's got Cliche, that modernist right.
5: take of a reaction against the tropes. And then it's mixing in, like I just said, it, it takes a heist narrative and it mixes mm-hmm. it mixes it in and so it's just me barring saying wow well, I love heist stories why are there no fantasy heist stories well yeah. I'm gonna do that um <laughs> yeah. so right. and there what? are plenty of them Lies of Lock Lamora is an even more heisty because Mistborn turns into an epic fantasy mm-hmm. um it's a stealth epic fantasy whereas Lies of Lock Lamora is just a true heist uh in fantasy form so thank, thank you, thank you so much, much. Really Brandon. appreciate it. thank Great. you very much yeah. uh right. you take care all, all right you take too Brandon.
2: Hey guys, uh, FYI, Brandon
0: Sanderson. Knows what he's talking about? Pretty smart. <laughs> pretty, pretty smart. That was yep. good time. It's always so great when somebody uh, can walk the walk and talk the talk. Do you know what yeah, I mean? My like, God. For, for somebody to be a professional, successful writer of his caliber and then you know, not only be able to do it, but then to theorize about it and to know the history of it. I just love that.
2: I'm curious about this for you, Will, because you are our fantasy correspondent. You read a lot of it. You're acting in it. I presume that you've read a good sum of you know, your standard literary fiction as well over the course of your life. What does fantasy fiction give you that crime fiction or literary fiction or any other kind of fiction does Romance. not? <laughs> Romance, yeah.
3: Well, again, I, I said jokingly before that if If it's not book one of 20, I'm not interested. And that's Mm. absolutely one of the things it gives you that most literature doesn't, which is a longevity you can't find anywhere else. You immerse yourself in these worlds for, I mean, again, when, when, when you started reading, you mentioned the wheel of time writer, when you started reading the wheel of time, the first book came out in like 1982, the last one that Brandon did, and I could be wrong with those years, it's somewhere in the eighties. The last one that Brandon wrote to finish the series came out in like 2000. Twelve or two thousand fifteen. I mean, you will immerse yourself in these worlds for decades at times. Um, so these are characters that you are with for long periods of time as the world is unfolding before you. It's there's an anticipation to fantasy that you don't necessarily get with with other um, uh, other genres where you're just you can't wait for the next one to come yeah, out.
1: That's so true, and we haven't talked about that at all yet. Like I have gone out of my way to be like, okay, what's a series of books that I'm going to spend months in mm-hmm. rather than, okay, this book was great. It took me a weekend or, you know, a couple weeks. And now I move on with my life. Like what is an alternate reality I can regularly escape to? And I remember feeling that way when I started reading Game of Thrones, like, okay, yep. this is great. This is going to be like a year of me thinking about these people. Mm-hmm. Yeah, think it, it's well, the original,
3: I, it's original binge watching.
1: Yeah. Right. Well I think that this,
0: this speaks to something about fantasy in particular too. It's, it's almost as if a sustained commitment to the fake reality mm-hmm. is, is a requirement of the fact that like the fantasy is going out on a limb further than any other genre, right It's saying we're not only going to make up uh, a, a set of characters, we're going to make up an entire world and we're going to make up all these rules for that world and all the, the ways that you know physics work in this world. Fantasy requires more participation, more commitment than any mm. other genre. And I mean, to that point, I wanted to talk about D&D because uh, Dungeons and Dragons is, you know, to me, how I discovered fantasy. Because I started by playing Dungeons and Dragons as a kid. I know, Todd, you played Dungeons and Dragons mm-hmm. as a kid. And Will, you didn't as a kid, but now you play Dungeons and Dragons, right? Yeah oh that's yeah.
2: interesting yeah so he I, came I, through the I,
0: fantasy novel side whereas i feel like you and i todd we we started with the, the yeah. game first
2: so you so you've got your history of reading all of these books that you're bringing to playing D, whereas D was my entry
3: drug oh that's so interesting. there that's, you go yeah that you know you mentioned how uh specific the worlds get my favorite uh, fantasy series growing up was called um, the the Belgariad and Melorian series written by David and Lee Eddings. It was really David Eddings, but his wife Lee is finally getting the credit she deserves for also helping. And between the first five books, the second five books, and then the two after books, Paul Gara the Sorceress and Belgarath the Sorcerer, so many books, Jesus, We've uh, got twelve books. Um, that were done over a span of years, but then they came out with something called the Riven Codex. And what the Riven Codex was, was essentially, it was David Eddings explaining how he created the world and how intricate it got. And so there's different species, whether it be Sendars, Rivens, Teln- uh, Telnadrans, the, uh, the Drasnians. I mean, 15 of them. And he broke down every country by uh, race, size, religion, um, currency, what that currency was worth compared to a currency in another world. I mean, it was just the entire world <laughs> up to crazy. the economic system. Yeah. Was crazy. Now. So well, you see when all of this started with him drawing a picture on a napkin and going, this is my world. Um, mm. So it's, it, they, this is, this is a, a true fantasy writer. It's that intricate because if a tell if, if a sendar meets a ribbon and they have to exchange money they have to know what that exchange rate is which means that David Eddings needs to know what that exchange rate is it's crazy That's well, I mean crazy. I think this
0: does go back to Tolkien in, in, in like even the basic sense like he included a map at the beginning of the book right like Lord of the Rings opens with that little hand-drawn map and in a weird way it's like a it's like a, a, a form of detail and authenticity that makes you go like oh
2: it, it creates a level of authenticity I right. think more I'm than saying, anything else. Right? Well, one
1: of my markers is like, if I open a book and there's a, like a five page list of people that I have to know what, you know, like what category they're in right. or what line- lineage they're in. I'm like, okay, I, I see the level of commitment and I'm in.
3: <laughs> uh, came, the last, the, the, the last Wheel of Time book, uh, the one, the, the final one that wraps everything up that Brandon, that was the second or third one that he wrote, The the prologue, was 110 pages long. <laughs>
2: <laughs> the prolog. You know, there are people that don't read prologues, which is really weird to me. Like cuz if you call it a chapter 1, no one would have a problem.
3: Yeah. Yeah. But it's they are they, and so to get back to what you're talking about with d d the the it, it it sounds so ridiculous but to even bring it back to acting, mm-hmm. you know that if you open a book and uh, if you know they believe it, you believe it right so when they're that into the world they're giving you like when an actor is that into the role they believe it so you do it's the same thing with fantasy like like you said like todd said you can see the commitment or julia said you can see the commitment where it's like this is a world that is important and this person for you know no hyperbole lived in this world while they were writing it and now they're sharing it with us and so that is a wonderful gorgeous thing well, and, and, and you get that with D&D.
1: Julia, have you ever played D&D? Yeah. No, I haven't. So, Will, I I am a professional improviser. And I ha- I've never mentioned this to you guys, actually, but I also do an improv fantasy show um, called The King in the North. Um, and it's really fun. But I've never played D&D. So I've performed improvised fantasy, but I've never been in a room where there's, like, no audience and, you're doing d So now you explain to me <laughs> what the hell is D&D, how it works, <laughs> and yeah, why is it so, why is it as huge as it is? So how does D&D,
3: D&D broken down to its most basic essence is improv with consequence. Yes. It is a dice-based role-playing game is is and d at its most basic you will sit with a dm or dungeon master or gm depending on the game game master who will sit with you and break down a character you create a character based on a book you get a a a a guide a dungeon master guide is for the dungeon master and you get a player's guide uh and you go through every little step from what race you want to be, what class you want to be, classes, you know, you want to be a fighter, you want to be a paladin, you want to be a wizard. You then roll dice depending on your attributes. Then the story takes on a life of its own and you are weaving your characters in with the other players around you and characters are falling in love. They're fighting each other. And when I say it's with consequence, you're a meat bag when you start the game. You, you have no sure. power, your hit points are at nothing. So it's like, oh, you meet a, a you know a horse walking down the street. He bumps into you. You're dead. So it's like <laughs> you you've got to make sure that you keep your character alive long enough to grow into the character you could be, and you level up. And it just it is the most wonderful, amazing way to spend let's say four to 30 hours on a weekend Um, because the games are very long, very intricate, but you look down and you're like, how have we been here for 12 hours? And you don't care.
0: In a lot of ways, it's like living inside of your favorite fantasy novel, you know, Mm -hmm. or not even your favorite. It's like living inside a fantasy novel with fellow writers. You know, you're all writing together. So we were really curious about all of these questions about D&D as a shared fantasy experience and committing to it. And since Todd and I hadn't played for so many years, we thought we'd find someone who knows more than us. Kate Welch is a professional dungeon master and professional D&D player. She's been a cast member of uh, D&D campaigns that have aired live, including the D&D show Acquisitions Incorporated. And she also worked at Wizards of the Coast as part of the official team that writes and designs Dungeons and Dragons campaigns.
6: So we talked to her about what it means to write D&D. The whole D&D team was about 25 people.
2: It's almost like running a, like a TV show, you know, or a video game or a video game. Yeah. Yeah,
0: It's very, it's super interesting. Um, And so what you're writing is essentially a guide for a dungeon master to sort of, launch their own version of the story, correct?
6: Yeah. And one of the things that we try to convey really strongly, especially with fifth edition, is we're writing, we, we give you a, a, a guidebook, like a map to a place mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. and places that you can go, things that you can discover. And some dungeon masters, although I think it's a minority, take that as the bible like we are going to do exactly what's in this book mm. and because that's the published adventure right. and that's what I think that you know the adventurers league style gaming where it's like we're we're all doing this almost almost um as a contiguous competitive thing where we're all tracking our resources over time oh, i think they're are right, a lot right. more they're a lot more stringent about it but the vast majority of dungeon masters at least i hope take what we wrote in those books and use it as a guide, a a suggestion. Right. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you can, you can flip through, you can see the layout. Okay. I got to, I see what they're going for here. I read about what's going on. I think about my party and I make changes that I know will interest them.
0: Right. That's what's so fascinating to me too, about DMing. It's like, you have to, you have to, uh, you know, build the world, but then also improv within it. Like right. you have to respond to the choices your characters, your your, you, your players make, right? You have
2: to be the doctor and the patient at the same time.
6: <laughs> A good Dungeon Master is is ready to pivot you know, is, is like, okay. My group is going in a totally different direction. This is classic, like, oh, my group ruined my plans for me. I'm like, oh, now it's going to get interesting. The fact that now we're, now we're getting to a thing that I had no idea we were going to do. That's when it gets exciting for me. That's when I get to improvise and I get to be a part of the game. Now it's not just me like reciting my great novel that I've written for you all to (laughs) sit and listen to my fan service. Um, but but uh, be actually being able to be like you said, writer, a, 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 a performer and a writer on this is right. it's just it's the best.
0: When does it go wrong?
6: When does it go bad? Um, you know, in my experience, the only bad moments that have happened in Dungeons and Dragons are ones where the players just were not aboard the train.
4: Right. There
6: right. there has to be a good faith. I I say this a lot. There's, there's so much vulnerability in creativity and so much multiply that by a factor for the vulnerability that comes in improvising. Right. So, when you are exposing your creativity in an improvisational setting, you're just like ripping your organs out for everybody to see. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and so as a dungeon master, it's a very very vulnerable place to be because mm. what if you're always thinking like what if this thing that I am going to do with my players what if they think it's stupid you know right. what if I say what if I say something that offends someone whatever it's just like all of the anxieties that are going on in your brain. So when a player is also feeling like they, usually it's, it's a player who doesn't feel like they can be vulnerable back. Uh, They're not comfortable. And so they're, they just don't, they don't rip open their chest and show you their heart. Like they're, they are too, they're too protected. Um, And so I, you know, there, there's a feeling of like, I'm, I'm not going to be as nerdy, as vulnerable as this person is because I, I'm afraid. And so those moments have happened with me um and i mean still though because i
2: I guess i always just assume like if you're in it to the point where you have you dming for them like they're they're in it right like they they want that sense of play they want to be in that world but i guess social situations make anyone clam up or Mm -hmm. you know you're bored or whatever it might be yeah so it must happen less now right than it did 10 years ago
0: for you generally speaking
6: I hope so. I hope so. Uh,
0: <laughs> I haven't played that much, to be honest, like, especially not as an adult. But uh, I am very uncomfortable speaking as my character. I still do everything. Right. I paraphrase everything. So I'm like, right. I'm going to go up to the barkeep right. and I'm going to say, so I'm like narrating my action as opposed to like, barkeep. I'll have, you know, like, I don't, I don't do that thing. I can't do not do it. But you do it, right? I mean, that's what you do as, right. a, as yeah. a DM. You I- do... Accents and voices, but, you get it. I started using an English accent. I don't know why. You can't, can't commit, <laughs> I couldn't commit, it's so funny. But so you commit, you you commit and you expect a, a, a level of commitment from your players. That, right.
6: Yes, I commit, uh, I do find I am also, deeply self-conscious. Like it's very hard for me to play in a serious game. So my brand as a defense mechanism is comedy. My games Um, are always really, really silly. And I'm like, whatever, bullshit you want to try like i'm going to enable it because that is what that is what i want out of my dnd games is people being like can i try this stupid thing And i'm like absolutely you can try that let's roll right. some dice right
4: um I'm,
6: I'm trying never to be the dungeon master that says no i i want everybody to have a good time but my defense mechanism for like getting into character is accents uh because they make people laugh i'm good yep. at some of them and i'm mo- i'm horrible at most of them but <laughs> they, help, they help me <laughs> they help me the the two the two accents I can do it. and I have to like get my trigger phrase going um for I can do a Kiwi accent uh my trigger phrases that's nice and now I can speak in a New Zealand accent <laughs> that's great uh, oh, wow. which I'll use i use quite a bit in my in my games um and then the that's other one great. I can do it I can do a, pre- a pretty decent Scottish accent uh-huh. and uh <laughs> that's great a lot of my characters also I could do a Brooklyn act like I I just right. do whatever whatever accent like suddenly the volume of my voice
1: it right. doubles
6: and and everyone starts laughing, and I can tell my characters apart because I remember this is the guy with the Brooklyn accent. Um, so that, yeah, that's I, but all what of that's a great way of mechanisms. doing it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. because it's, <laughs> it's not you. hiding. That, that's so cool. Yes. When we're kids, we play so unselfconsciously.
4: Right. With, you know, right.
6: like we don't care what we look like. We don't care who sees us. It, it's a learned thing for us to become yeah. ashamed of that kind of vulnerability and play. Yeah. And so as you get older, you realize like somebody might make fun of me for this. And so, and mm-hmm. cause you've probably got made fun of at some point, somebody made fun of you for doing something that was a genuine expression of yourself. You build that wall right. yeah. and then it happens again, you build a thicker wall. And so When you get to be an adult, you realize playing pretend is something that's just for children because someone told me that once and I've never Mm -hmm. forgotten it because it hurts so badly. Um, And it's, I, I think one of the reasons like people love acting is because everyone there expects you to play pretend you're you are supposed to like you're Mm -hmm. encouraged to and that's part of who we are as human beings i really like there's their children play they they play pretend they they know to do that from from as an instinct and there's a part of me too and this is an utterly unscientific theory but i think that it's part of who we were as primitive beings like before society yeah, became sure. civilization yeah. that the idea of pl- playing pretend together was how we told stories and yeah. taught lessons and yep. engaged our brains because something happens to you guys when 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 i play in a game i just finished my like a five-year campaign that i was engaged in <laughs> but I, i'm um, sorry and- did
0: you say
2: five years
6: yeah. Oh my
0: gosh! Yeah. With wow. the same characters going through. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Oh that's my that's God. like, yeah. that's really? like a lifetime of experiences and shared journeys. And you were playing this or actor you were playing. Oh, I was,
6: I was a player. I was a player. Oh, that's um, so great. But my dudes, there are, there are people I've met who've played in the same campaign for 40 years. So right. like five. Oh yeah, five years, five years, I'm like, yeah, five years is great. But like I've met some people. So, so anyway, after c- completing this campaign, I went from, I was like friends with one of the people that I was playing with. I didn't really know the rest of them. Um, I went from that to like, I will... Kill for you. I, <laughs> I, I bake them birthday cakes. I've been I through wars together. together. Yeah. You, we have you, been through wars. Together. for each other. Like, <laughs> exactly. So exactly. Yeah. There's. It's. It's. It's real. It's real yeah. to you. There's like we all have this shared set of memories wow. of things yeah. that only we know about, having been there, but we remember them like they're real. And there's there is just so something cool. really interesting psychologically. I always I, I like to bring this back to the actual anatomy of our, of our brains and like how we evolve. Like, why is this so sticky? Why does, why does this appeal? Why does it happen that I remember everything vividly that we only collectively imagined? And that's why I'm like, there must be something that we evolved to do that is emulated by the playing of Dungeons and Dragons. Right. That is like, I remember those things because it's important for me to be able to survive because I yeah. created this world with people and imagined yeah. things that could happen and might serve me later, you know? It's,
2: it's sort of um, shared altruism, you know, which is, yeah. which is the creation of the nuclear family. <laughs> right. um, yeah. You know, um, there's a... There's a great great book by Helen Fisher uh, that talks about shared altruism amongst, uh, we're gonna get deep here, amongst the Australopithecines um, that really really shows (laughs) like how primitive man developed the nuclear family. Um, Because also metaphor creates empathy. When you can compare other things to the things and create other things to show an example of what life could be like, that creates a natural form of empathy. So
0: I I think you're right. I mean- I think you're I absolutely think, right. I think, sure. I mean, storytelling is just the most essential, you know, it's it's the way we remember things. It's how we, you know, it's the way we humans, we just are such social animals. And I think you're right. Like D&D is, it, it, there's something primal about it. There's yeah. something so effective about it. Uh, it's amazing. It actually took us, so long into the twentieth century to sort of develop a version, of, you know, to develop yeah. the game, or so did it? This episode, you know, our our focus is is on the the notion of genre and and the, and specifically fantasy. And I guess like I'm wondering if you have any idea why, like, because you could role play anything, right? And people do. There are other games. There's cyberpunk games. There's vampire. Right. There's werewolf. There, you know, but. But D is enduring. It's like the that sort of high fantasy, that epic, you know, Tolkien-inspired world is kind of the still the most popular. Why do you think that is? Why why is it? Why do we role play fantasy as opposed to other types of people?
6: Well, uh, specifically, uh, Tolkien is an excellent, I think, um, pin to to put in it, because when you talk about werewolf and vampire, those are all fantasy. but there's a difference between modern fantasy dystopian like cyberpunk type fantasy and a completely like otherworldly semi-utopian place Mm. where beautiful things occur and Mm. and magic is real um that is i think allows you to completely escape who you actually are in in totality where you are who you are everything is different. And there is, I think, I think escape is a, is a huge deal in, especially in the, the more, the more stress we're under as people, the more populated our world gets. I think escape is becomes increasingly important. So a world in which you can totally escape, and Tolkien, I mean, the, the unabashedly D and D was was ripped off so many totally, things. Yeah. <laughs> totally, right. it was just like it was obviously a game where like I want to pretend to be in Middle Earth. Yeah, um, like they had to call they only call halflings halflings because they were <laughs> they called hobbits early right. on, and <laughs> yeah, there was some lawsuit action. Uh, but but uh, but yeah, like there, I think that. Tolkien really tapped into something too, and and I'm sure there's there's thousands of of thought pieces written about what it is about Tolkien that that really got people, mm-hmm. um, but there's there is just there is this world of 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 mystery, and you know you in modern society, particularly in the West, we are we are often devoid of magic, like magic mm, is not yeah. something that enters our day to day, but there's still a spiritual pull toward mystical that that humans yeah. just can't deny whether like I know I know plenty of atheists who love playing magical magic wielding characters in d d there's still a a a desire for there to be something that isn't quite understood all the way something right. that gives you power beyond what your boring meat sock mm-hmm. of a human body is able to, <laughs> to <Meat laughs> accomplish that's, that's,
0: that's so deep. well put you yeah. know yeah. does the nature of the, the game require a sort of fantasy storyline, you know, a a journey, uh, or is all of that up for grabs and you kind of take it, you know, as it comes and go wherever the, the, does the genre kind of run with the players or is it set ahead of time, I guess is a question.
6: Yeah. There's, it's very much, it very much runs with the players. It's something that wow. I like to ascertain in like a session zero when we are talking about like, who are, who are our characters? What mm-hmm. kind of chemistry are we going to have together? What kind of game do we want to run? Mm-hmm. And you can customize every single bit of this to the group that, that's playing. Maybe they really want to do a lot of heavy hitting combo or uh, combat <laughs> in dungeons. Great. Now, no, that's the kind of game that you're going to run. I personally love to run games that have very little combat for a number of reasons that we don't have time to get into. But the main one is that, um, I just, I don't love combat in, in D and D. So I like that there's so many other things that you can be good at. Like Mm -hmm. what, and, and kind of to your point earlier, Todd, when you were talking about your D and D game, how it's like when people are killing the orc, everybody else is like, yeah, if I can kill that work, that's every game, it's very easy to disengage. So uh, that's my personal preference. I'll run whatever the, the group wants. But when it comes to the, the through line of story, I do think that there's one that I tend to gravitate toward that is a tried and true classic works every time. In any medium, which is the chosen one yeah. story.
4: Mm-hmm.
6: It, it's like all of the best stories that have echoed throughout the years. There's always an aspect of chosen one. And it, it, it relates to that escapism and that fantastical nature of the genre of like, ooh, what if I was the chosen one? Right. That'd be amazing. So yep. does that mean yep. you end
0: up sort of insinuating pretty early on that somebody within the party is is chosen for a destiny? And then you're gonna I, find out what that is?
6: You know. I like everybody to be the chosen because the chosen one doesn't have to be one person. I think that the chosen chosen one can be a group. And so what I like to insinuate and start hinting at as soon as possible is that whatever is happening it's happening because it's this group of people. There's right. something that each of you is bringing to That's this so that cool. is essential. Yeah. It's destiny, and, right, it's, yeah. like it's destiny, right? It's like of destiny, yeah, right. Exactly, exactly. But and destiny has to be fulfilled by this combination of people. And so when I start, do I know what that is? Absolutely, fucking not. Like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know what the chosen one story is going to turn out to be. But the more I see these players play the more I find out about their characters, the more we all discover together, and then an idea will come to me. And I'm like, ooh, maybe this could be it. And then you start steering them toward that. Like, that's one of the best best things about being a dungeon master is like, I have no idea where this is going when I start. (laughs) And I'll figure it out as we go, just like the rest of the group will. And and being able to trust in yourself and in your own creativity, and and know that whatever's gonna happen is going to be for the sake of the story and is, is going to be memorable.
2: Well, that was awesome.
0: You know, I really want to pick up on what she talked about at the end there with this whole notion of the chosen one, right? Mm-hmm. Because I, I feel like, yeah, when you're playing D&D and you have like all these different ideas of like, you know, one person's going to want to make it a funny campaign. Another person wants to just go kill people. And it, and like a way to sort of take all the strands of of choices that people are making and tie them all together and make it feel like a coherent fantasy is that all of this was destined. Right, like all of this goes back to a sort of pre preordained story, and I mean this is going back to like why I think Star Wars is fantasy is because there's always mm-hmm. the sense of like, and this was meant to happen, and I feel like, and will will you should you know correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like isn't that a defining feature of fantasy?
3: It, it well sure. I mean the hero's journey will always be one of the places that you start. It, it's, it's you know, no one wants to play D if it's about five people where nothing happens to them because they nobody cares and they don't go anywhere.
0: Right, know, but I, I'm because you could be a hero by breaking rules and and changing the world, sure. you know. But but I'm talking about specifically. Oh, you were destined to become the king, sure. or destined the, the, to the, be the, the one who yeah. kills the king, or whatever.
3: Yeah, the predestined thing is always you. It's the, it's constantly the child born with the mark that means something. Right. To exactly. Or the, you have half a medallion and you've got to go find who had the other half a medallion. There's something where your your life has already been chosen for greatness, but you now have to walk the path of it. Yes, of course. Right. That's. That is very. And, and one of the things I like to say is, while that may be true, that doesn't change the fact that some people do that very well and some people do that very, poorly. Right. So while you may have I mean, I always say the, at the end of the day, the blues is three chords. Um, it's how you play the blues that makes you a great blues musician or a terrible blues musician. Right. So, you know, fantasy may start with those same three chords, but Brandon Sanderson is Brandon Sanderson because he writes like Brandon Sanderson um, and creates worlds and magical systems that are marvelous where other people, um, will take those same hey you're predestined to grab the sword because your finger's marked in the way and it's just a bad super story predictable sure. right, right. Yeah, yeah yeah predictable and and it's it's or just not well written or it's i mean you get even the things that were going to start you said star wars you get you know when they they did the first star wars uh of the of the the, <laughs>
0: the first series. star wars
3: of the second reboot episode what uh seven, seven. yeah and and it came out and and um what was her name? Ridley. uh, I forget her name, but the, 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 the lead character. Yeah. Ray who played, who played Ray. Everyone hated that she was a Mary Sue because yes, her life might've been determined, but the thing people loved about Luke Skywalker was the fact that he was bad at lots of things. When we started, he was whiny. He couldn't really fly. Well, he was like the grass American hero. He was like, I don't know what to do with this suit, but that's why you loved him. Whereas she did everything perfect the first time she touched it and people hated it. So right. it's like, hey, you took the same exact story and yours is bad and theirs is good. Okay, well, why? And that's so, so that's one of the reasons why. And and it's, again, it goes back to, we keep talking about what makes a fantasy and the, it you don't have to be predestined for greatness, but you know, it certainly helps.
2: So- you know, one, one thing I was wondering too, is like, like, it seems like fantasy requires like a reason for chaos. Whereas crime fiction, for instance, has often has someone who comes in and solves the chaos
0: fixes the chaos fixes the chaos
2: so like oh the reason we're in chaos is that we're looking for the one the reason we're in chaos is that the boy with the mark has not been discovered um and that sort of reminds me of like oh well the reason that there's gay people is that christ is coming back and he will fight (laughs) the gay people or you know whatever whatever religious canard is out there at any given time (laughs) that is dependent on the return of christ
1: yeah Um, so there's definitely something biblical and arthurian about a lot of these things those are obviously two major branches um but (laughs) i'm so sorry to you three this gets to exactly why i am not a big star wars fan because and i i let's get away from this and talk about some other series because it's something that permeates Mm. fantasy which is destiny is from blood and from family and like yes. star wars irritates me in that like the only real twist is who's your daddy um <laughs> like how many times can you do that twist um and apparently
3: nine nine yeah <laughs> exactly. nine,
1: nine
3: times. but i
1: think that's that's really heavy for a lot of people you know and and maybe not a great way it's like yeah no matter what you do Whoever your parents were, whoever your great great grandparents were, like that's who you're gonna be. Well, but this, um, it,
0: it goes back to the religious point, right? Like right. there yeah. because Jesus Christ, who's your daddy, right? Like right. I
1: mean, <laughs> we're we're getting to
0: the heart. It's like the notion of, of of fantasy fantasy does seem like it's almost like um like a human, like there's a, a religiosity built into the human brain, right? This right. impulse for storytelling that is rule breaking like we're going to break the reality of the world so like that's not just a tree that's a tree that means something that's not just a regular river that's a river that means something and i'm going to spin a story that tells you the meaning of it And, and it's not going to be evidence based it's going to be just story based and i'm going to break the rules of reality and you have to believe me and like the way to make somebody believe them is to be like and it's destined and it was always meant to be that way. Yeah. And you know, there's no more like further evidence of destiny than you were born to these parents, you were these powerful figures, or you were born to go do this. And right. so I it feel like fantasy strong. plays in t- in the same sandbox as religion, you know, and it's like right. in a way, it's 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 uh you know, to take improv well, with consequences, it's sort of religion without consequences, but then fantasy. also doesn't
2: doesn't fantasy then also if you are religious sort of provide a backbone for the thing that you already find important in your life like oh it's not just this thing that is true obviously that guides my life but even the art that I consume is about the same basic threads of humanity.
0: All right so Julia you went ahead and uh, solicited some fan uh, yes. recommendations for fantasy so how did that go?
1: yeah it went great um (laughs) well we recognize that we are only talking about the tiniest slice of fantasy and we know that we're not touching everybody's favorite books so we thought we'd throw it out to the fans you guys called in you left some of your favorite recommendations and we're we're gonna do this reading rainbow style we're just gonna let (laughs) let you talk and take it away fans what should we read next
5: Hey, Disco. Uh, This is Dave. I'm a public librarian in Rhode Island, and I was calling with my fantasy suggestion. Um, I'm going to throw out Black Sun by Rebecca Roanhorse. uh, If you're looking for a fantasy uh, book that is not in the medieval Arthurian England, Europe mold, Uh, this takes place on this continent um, with indigenous myths kind of pulling into uh, the, the fantasy world of a crow god that is being reborn and all of the political machinations in their civilization. So it's a really fascinating look at a, a different way to write fantasy.
1: Hi, this is Erica Jelinek calling The City We Became by N.K. Jemison. It is campy and ridiculous and just super inventive and inspired and absolutely bonkers fever dream after i got my covid uh, vaccine
4: hey disco this is michael calling from canada a fantasy that everyone should read is the winged histories by sophia samatar it's about four women in a place called alandria where there's this war going on it's um it's about characters that are people of color it's super gay the prose is just so beautifully written and the love stories in it they'll just tear your heart out in the best possible way. So that's The Winged Histories by Sophia Samitar.
0: Hi guys, this is Liz.
6: I wanted to recommend uh, The Name of the Wind series, which I'm reading right now. It's a really good book. I think you guys would really enjoy it. It is a first-person narrative, which is interesting. Uh, I think that you guys have a lot to talk about with the main character.
1: Hey, Literary Disco, this is Francis Long from Grand Rapids, Michigan. For your consideration of a fantasy recommendation is a fake series I'm currently in the middle of, The Queens of Sunburn* by Kondari Blake, starting with The Three Dark Crowns. Many reasons why. For one, Asian American author represents, two, a woman-led societal structure, which is so good to see as a counterpoint to the more male-driven sexist tones of fantasy writing of yore. And three, the premise is a cross between Harry Potter house structure in terms of being attuned to a certain set of magical gifts, part his dark materials, in terms of animal familiars and part hunger games in terms of involving sisters that have to fight to the death to claim the throne.
6: This is Dana Lorenz, and I'm calling to recommend Spinning Silver by Naomi Novik. This fantasy novel is so strange and wonderful, taking you into a fantasy world of fairies and magic. And one of the first recent fantasies that I've read really coming back to the genre that really blew my mind. Uh, I highly recommend it and uh, hope you guys read it, even if you don't read it for the episode.
1: My name is Christy, and growing up, fantasy was one of my favorite genres, Dealing with Dragons by Patricia C. Reed. It's the first and I think the best book in the series, and it also stands alone. It has classic fairy tale tropes and main characters, the princess, but the characters are resourceful and clever and curious, and the skills that they learn come back in useful ways throughout the story. There's a mystery element and positive relationship between an assortment of diverse female characters. And overall, it's just charming, and I would recommend it as a gift or as something to read aloud to any early chapter book readers who also love fantasy.
2: My name is Brian Piranesi, which uh, I thought was awesome. Uh, it was inspired by a series of architectural drawings, and it's all about a character who has lost himself in a labyrinth of sorts uh, that's uh, like a series of other dimensions. Uh, it's very cool, um, very original, and it made me want to get into reading contemporary fantasy again in ways that I hadn't before. So I hope that you like my picks, uh, and I really love listening to your show. (laughs) Bye.
0: Literary Disco is produced, edited, and music-supervised by Jordan Katz. Justin Alvarez is our producer for Lit Hub Radio. You can reach out to us directly on Twitter, at Literary Disco. Happy reading, everybody. Thanks for listening.